Bible study Hello, my name is Matt, and we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3 today. Now, we've done chapter 1, which is kind of the bulleted list of creation. Chapter 2, we've kind of come, gone back in and started to fill in some of the details. Um, we've uh, got the garden created. Um, man was then moved into the garden. And now we're going to kind of kind of take the next step. Okay, because last we left off, they were both naked, uh, the man and the woman, and they didn't mind. None of the animals had clothes, they didn't have clothes, they were all good with it. So that's kind of where we left off uh, in 2.25. So now we're going to start uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And a woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Let's just stop right there. Let's start back here at the beginning. When it talks about the serpent, we kind of have this idea in our head of it being kind of a lizardy snake type uh, type beast. Um, what's interesting is we don't really know what this is. We we kind of identify it as possibly a snake, um, and I think that there's some reason for that. Um, the word there where it says serpent, the actual uh, Hebrew word there is nakash, uh, which basically means uh, the shining one who hisses. So a snake, it is shiny, its scales are shiny, and it does hiss. I mean, notably so. Um, but so do a variety of other animals that are shiny and make kind of a hissing sound. Cockroaches are kind of shiny and make a hissing sound. Um, different kinds of lizards are shiny and make a hissing sound. But we can, there will be evidence later of why we think of serpent there, why we think of snake there. Um, but anyway, just kind of keep that in mind. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. So think about that. This is something that the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The first thing this thing does 
is plant a seed of doubt, is question God's authority, is plant the idea of disobedience. Plant the idea of not following the rules. Okay? That's the first words out of this thing's mouth is, has God not said you shall eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman turns around and kind of corrects him and says, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but, there's that important word, but, of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, if you'll remember, back in 2, when it talks about God creating the Garden of Eden and then taking man, made him in the dust, and then picked him up and put him inside this kind of enclosure, this kind of fenced-off park, um, which was what we think of as the Garden of Eden. Um, keep in mind that over here, what happens is we have, uh, in verse 9 it says, And out of the ground made the Lord God grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight. Okay, well this one was obviously pretty. It says it was good to look at. And good for food. She said it was looked like the food was good. And the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay? So we've got these two trees right here in the middle. And God puts man inside the garden to take care of everything in the garden and enjoy the garden and basically eat of all the plants that were in the garden and enjoy playing with all the animals that were in the garden. All of that. And then in 16 it says, Every tree of the garden thou must freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they shalt, thou shalt not eat of it. Okay, so the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. Now we get over here in three, uh, chapter 3, and the woman says, Not only can we not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. So now we can't eat it or touch it. Otherwise we're going to die. And the serpent again questions the woman and says, surely you're not going to die from doing this. Surely God wasn't telling the truth. Surely he didn't really mean that. Surely you're not going to die from something as simple and benign as eating fruit off of a tree. And tries to convince her and says, God only wants you to keep out of that fruit keep out of that tree don't touch it don't eat it because if you do that you're going to become like him and you're going to be competition and God doesn't want competition because he's this evil dictator who uh, doesn't want anybody rising up against him and doesn't want uh, anybody on his equal he wants you to be subservient to him and all these kinds of things it's kind of the idea that he starts to plant in her head which again, this is the first lie that's told in the Bible. And the, what is that lie? The lie is, is that God's word isn't the truth. And as we go through this entire book, the, the farther and farther we go and get toward the ending, the more times you're going to see this exact same thing recur and recur and recur. This pattern is going to repeat itself. Okay? There's going to be this question surely that's not true surely god didn't mean what he said surely you don't have to follow the rules that question 
is literally the downfall of man and the continual downfall of man to this day is that question, that seed of doubt saying, surely God didn't really mean what he said. Surely God's word isn't true. Surely the words that are in this book aren't true. It's just fairy tales. It continues to this day. It starts right here and it continues to this day. So keep that in mind as well, okay? So woman saw the tree. It was a pretty tree. It looked great. The fruit looked like it was something that would be tasty and uh, good to eat and would be probably sweet and and taste good. It looked good to the eyes. And not only that, it had the benefit of making you smarter. Well, who wouldn't want to take from this tree? It looks good, it tastes good, and it's going to make me smarter? Sign me up, right? I mean, the, we, we dog, we, you know, we, we, we dog old poor Eve and Adam here for falling prey to this, but this is a pretty good, this is a pretty good sales tactic here. It's, it looks good, it tastes good, and it's going to make you better, is the sales pitch. Now, it's not true, just like a lot of other sales pitches aren't always true. There's a little bit of truth in there and a little bit of a lie. Well, it's the lie part that always gets you hung. So here we go. So she takes it and eats it and then passes it off to her husband, who was standing right there with her, and he ate it too. And the eyes of both of them were opened, just like God said. And quite frankly, just like the serpent said. Again, there's always a little truth mingled with the lie. He wants to question God's authority, but he's also giving them something that's true. If you do that, your eyes are going to be open to good and evil. You're going to be no longer innocent. And he he basically pawns that off, that idea of lack of innocence as a good thing, when in, the, in reality it was a bad thing. You, it would have been better for us to have kept our innocence and also kept a little bit of our ignorance. Um, ignorance is bliss, the old saying goes. And so, um, again, we probably would have been better off just to listen to what God said and obeyed and lived in the garden forever and ever and ever and ever and never had any trouble, never had any bad things happen and eternal goodness. Okay, so think about that. Even though it may sound like a good idea at the time, just trust God. Don't trust anybody else. But here it happens, and their eyes of them were, were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons or clothes. Okay, things were girt about their, their uh, private parts, basically. We call them bits and pieces in our house. But they wrapped leaves around there so that they couldn't be seen. A few verses ago, eight verses ago, none of this mattered. They were naked. All the other animals were naked. Nobody gave two hoots about it. Now, all of a sudden, it's a big deal. So let's go into verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So here it is now all of a sudden they've eaten of the fruit, they've broken the rule. And just like children do now, when they break a rule and they hear dad coming, they try to go hide somewhere. They try to separate themselves from dad. 
okay? Which which isn't really what Dad wants. Dad wants them to be together, and the best way for them to be together and be happy together is for them to all agree on how we're going to act and how, how we're going to behave and what we're going to do, okay? Same thing with God. God. God wants unity with man. He doesn't want them to be separated. But sure enough, they're separated first by the lie. They're separated by their action, the sin, the not obeying the rule. And then they're physically separated by the tree. There was nothing in between them and God before. Now we've got these tree leaves that are now separating their physical bodies from God. And here they are walking around in the garden now that this has happened. And they hear the voice of God walking around in the garden. It says in the cool of the day, and that actually means wind there in Hebrew. With the wind blowing, and they heard the voice of God kind of on the wind through the garden. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Just the way a little kid would go and hide when he knows he's done something wrong. Okay? This is innate in people to this day. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? It's not like God didn't know where they were. God knew exactly where they were. But he's asking, where are you? In the same way that, again, just like a father and a little kid, if a little kid goes and hides in his bedroom and he's under his bed, I know he's under his bed, but I still walk into the room and I say, hey, where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Again, think of father and son here. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Let's just think about that real quick. Who told you that you were naked? Five minutes ago, you were running around naked. You guys have been running around naked for a long time now. So were all the other animals and nobody cared one way or the other. So who is it that brought this information to you? Who's the one that led you astray? And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? So here it is. It's not that God doesn't know. He's asking leading questions to see how far down the line he's got to let these people go before they're going to fess up to what they did. Okay? First, it's where are you? I know where you are. I know you're hiding under the bed, son. Next, it's, did you throw the ball through the window and break the glass when I said don't throw the ball toward the house? That's what we're doing here. And the man said, the woman who gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So again, this is just what kids do. I've got two sons. And if I go after the younger one and I say, Canaan, why is it that I told you not to do this? And sure enough, here you've done it. And you went and hid, and now I found you, and I've asked you if you did it. And rather than saying, yes, I did it, you have to throw in that extra little piece of passing the buck and say, I did it, but my brother's the one who said we could play outside. Or my brother was the, was the one who was standing in front of the window that I had to throw to. It's that same kind of passing the buck. Yes, I ate it, but not only did she also eat it, but she's the one that gave it to me. So it's really her fault. It's not my fault. 
There's this pattern. Again, these patterns just roll over and over again to this day. I see them with my own children to this day. It's the same thing. And man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, he's almost blaming God here. Well, you're the one that gave this woman to me, and she's the one that gave it to me. I'm completely innocent in this thing. It's, In fact, it would be the, the equivalent of him saying, not only did my brother stand in front of the window, so that's where I threw it, but you're the one that, that brought my brother into this world to begin with, and if I hadn't had a little brother, there wouldn't have been anybody to throw to, and there, therefore I wouldn't have thrown it through the window. It's that kind of logic that's at play here, okay? It's just like what little kids do. And in the same sense, they are, they are coming from complete innocence to the beginning of the knowledge that there is something bad in the world. Just like little kids start innocent and they slowly learn that there are bad, that there is bad in the world. And they react the exact same way. Even though these are grown human beings here, at least we assume they are, they are reacting like innocent children in the same way that innocent children to this day react. They're doing the exact same kind of thing. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So now, not only did the little brother pass the buck onto the big brother, and blame me, the father, for having the big brother to begin with, now, now I come to big brother and I go, Well, Cohen, why were you standing in front of the window? And he says, Well... The neighbor next door said that I could throw it, you know, that, that it would be a farther place to throw and catch. We'd basically be better ball players if I stood over here. There'd be more room. So again, even older brother now is passing it off on a third party. Okay, we're still passing the buck down the line. Well, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, so now we're talking, so now we're talking to the neighbor kid, okay? And the Lord God said to the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field and, and upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So there it comes down to, we've come back to the root of the problem. The first one, who had the bad idea to begin with to go against what dad said, okay? And it's the one where the punishment falls. Now they all get punished in one way or another, but the, the main punishment goes on the one who started it, okay? <clears throat> this is also in 14 where we get the idea that the serpent is a snake because it says, um, above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat, all the days of thy life, meaning um, you're not going to fly, you're not going to uh, walk as far as upright or on legs where your belly isn't touching the ground, um, you're not going to swim, you're going to, basically your, your body is going to be touching the ground all the time, you're going to be the lowest of the low of all the land animals, you're literally going to be the lowest of the low, you're going to be the, the one who's literally just forced to be on the ground all the time and and basically you're going to be eating dirt because your your face is even just going to be in the dust all the time okay so now we get to 15 
and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. That means I'm going to put this dislike, this uh, this combative nature, this we don't go well together, this opposition between thee, meaning the serpent, the one who is the sneaky one, the one who who convinced the woman to sin, to not follow the rules, and the woman. And to this day, for the most part, there are always exceptions, most women do not like snakes to this day, as a general rule. Now, my wife does. She loves snakes. As we, we've had them in our house. We've had them. She's a teacher, and she's had them in her, her classroom uh, for the students to enjoy. <clears throat> so, again, she's one of the rare ones. But my mother, on the other hand, hates snakes, doesn't want to be around them, doesn't want to see them, doesn't want to touch them, wants nothing to do with them. Um, but anyway, so just kind of keep that in mind. So, so again, between the woman and this serpent, there's going to be this enmity or this dislike, this opposition. But here's the part I want you to pay attention to. It says, and between thy seed, wait a minute, the serpent has seed? Meaning Satan has seed? Keep that in mind. And her seed, the woman's seed, the seed of people. And it shall bruise thy head, meaning the serpent's head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Okay, now there's some forward references here. If you go like into Exodus um, 7, 10, and 12, and eventually uh, into the New Testament where the Messiah basically is 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 killed, um, is sacrificed, um, there is a lot going on in that one verse right there. And for the most part, you're getting kind of the main concept of what's going to happen through the whole Bible right here in this verse. Okay? And if you keep track of the seed of God or the will of God and the will of the enemy throughout history, if you watch what happens as far as these group of people get to live, and if you're of this other group of people, you do not get to live. And that's going to become more and more evident the further and further we go. Okay, especially once we get up up to around Noah, it's going to become, this verse right here is going to become really relevant real quick. So just kind of keep that in mind. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So basically, what he's saying is here, I've punished the snake, we're walking down the line. Now it's the woman's turn. She was the next one in line that did something wrong. So now, whenever I said be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, where before that could have been a joyous thing and a happy, painless, and fun, enjoyable thing, now, whenever you actually do what I told you to do, which is basically replenish the earth, and then the second part of that is for the man to subdue the earth and, you know what I mean, till the ground and all that kind of stuff, 
you know, take care of all the plants and all that. Just keep keep that in mind. Just keep that in the back of your head. Unto the woman I said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So basically what he's saying is, because you didn't obey me, whether you were sneakily convinced to do it or not is irrelevant. The bottom line is, I said don't do it, you did it. So there's got to be punishment. There has to be punishment. There has to be a sacrifice, an atonement, a covering for sin. That starts right here. Okay? And you'll see that continue as we go too. Now part of the punishment side is now, whenever you have babies, it's going to hurt. It's not going to be a fun thing for you. Now, the before having the baby and after the baby comes is still going to be fun, but the actual act of bringing that baby into this world is not going to be painless and fun and joy and party. It's going to be a rough go for you. And not only that, but now the husband, the man, is going to dominate the woman. Whereas before you guys were equals and all was well with you guys, you guys were literally two peas in a pod. Now there's going to be just this little slight edge that the husband is going to have over you. And the, and the husband will rule over you. We'll be in charge now. Because you've shown yourself to not be trustworthy to lead the family. You led the family into sin, so now the husband gets a chance to do it. Okay, now, now we've, we're moving on from the woman to the man. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkenest unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. Now the man himself isn't cursed, if you notice. The ground is cursed because of the man. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Meaning, the ground is going to be hard to take care of, and you're going to be forced to work the land in order to survive, in order to eat. Because you're going to have to have the plants grow, because if the plants don't grow, you're not going to have any plants to eat. You're not going to have any fruit to eat. You're not going to have any... You're literally going to have to work. The plants aren't going to grow on their own. You're going to have to plant them. You're going to have to take care of them to get them to grow healthy fruit that you can eat and become healthy and stay healthy and not die from it. Okay? Whereas before they're in the garden, everything's perfect. They're eating of the tree of life, which is eternal life. They're Every time they ate of it, they did not age, They did, their cells did not degenerate, everything was perfect. Okay? Now, you're going to have to eat of this inferior fruit, this inferior trees, and you're going to have to work to do it. The ground itself isn't, is going to produce thistles, is going to produce, you're going to have to weed the garden to get the weeds from overrunning the garden. You're going to have to do all this extra things that you wouldn't have had to done if you'd have just minded in the first place. Okay, so keep that in mind. That's where that's where we're heading. And in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns 
and also thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So basically he's saying, you're going to be sweating and working your rear end off in order to, to grow crops so that you can have bread and fruit and all these things until you die and decompose into dirt again. So literally, I'm cursing the ground, the dust that you came from. Man was created of the dust of the earth. I'm cursing the earth because of what came out of the earth. Now later there's going to be this little incident with Jesus and a fig tree where the fig tree is cursed because of the fruit that it produced. In this same sense, the ground is being cursed because of the fruit, the man that was created from it, that it produced. Okay? So keep that in mind. He didn't curse man. He cursed the ground for man's sake. Until when? Until the man turns back into that same dirt. That's why today at funerals you hear him say, Dust to dust, yes. That's because eventually we all turn into dust, whether it's through cremation or whether it's through decomposition buried in a hole somewhere, you eventually turn back into dust and dirt. Okay, so keep that in mind. Verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, which, by the way, just that name Eve there, in the Hebrew, uh, when you when you look into, because again, all names mean something in Hebrew, uh, so keep that uh, in mind there. Um, Eve, which in Hebrew is actually uh, Hava, uh, which means living. Okay, so he names his wife because remember he named everything in the garden. He named all the animals. He named the plants, and now he's naming his own wife called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living because the word means living okay unto Adam ooh we got some lightning and storms rolling in a couple of pretty good little lightning strikes there we're going to try to get through the end of three here uh, before we go so and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living and unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Let's stop right there. Where did God get the coats of skins to clothe them? See, at first, what did they make their clothes out of to separate themselves from God? Because they had sinned and they felt naked and they felt ashamed. They did it out of fig leaves. They did it out of plants. But again, like I said before, with all transgression of the law or any kind you, you break the rules of God, anytime you sin, there has to be a covering. There has to be a substitution. There has to be a blood covering to restore that unity back between man and God. It has to happen. Okay? Eventually, it's going to happen once and for all in the Messiah in the New Testament but we got a lot of books to go to get there but just keep that concept in mind everything was good 
we broke the rules. Now there has to be a covering to cover or to substitute up that sin, that mistake. So Lord God makes coats of skins. That means that there had to be innocent animals, animals who who did nothing wrong. They haven't eaten of the wrong fruit. They haven't eaten. No, these are innocent animals now had to die so that he could make skins out of them to cover the man and the woman. So there's, this right here is in the Bible. This is the first blood sacrifice to cover sin is right here in 21. And you're going to see that pattern repeat and repeat and repeat as we go as well. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden. Remember, he was made outside the Garden of Eden. God picked him up, stuck him inside the enclosure of the Garden of Eden. Well, now God's saying the other the other thing. Now because he sinned, now because he broke the rules and he ate of this one tree, we can't let him eat of the tree of life anymore. He can't be an immortal being anymore. He cannot continue that daily resurgence into immortality that he would have had if he had he been allowed to stay in the garden and eat of that tree of life. We're cutting that off now. So no more tree of life, no more garden. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Again, he was created outside the garden, picked up, put inside the garden, did something wrong. Now all the blessings go away. Now we've got curses. The curse is we're taking you away from the from immor immortality as far as physical immortality. We're taking that away by taking away the tree of life. We're taking you out of the garden and putting you right back out where in the place where the dirt was gathered together and you were made in the first place, okay? To till the ground, meaning to break up the ground. Think about what that is. To till the ground, break up the ground from whence he was taken. So the same dirt that he was made, made from, that God broke up to make man, now man has to break it up to make more people, to stay alive to recreate man, to multiply, so that he doesn't break another of God's commandments or another of God's blessings to be fruitful and multiply, so he can still obey God's commands. He's still, in a sense, following the pattern of God. God says, do this because this is the way I am, and people don't do it. <laughs> Notoriously, we don't do it. But he says, if you'll do like I do, things will be well with you. So here it is. He's saying, I broke up this land to make you. You're going to have to break up this land to be able to plant food, for you to be able to, to live long enough to reproduce and make more people. 24. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And that's the end of chapter 3. So let's talk about 24 a little bit. So he's taken him out of the garden. And now, because remember what it says, he created a garden east of Eden. Meaning Eden was a place, and to the east of it was where this garden was, was created, this enclosure. 
Now he's kicked him out of that garden. He's put him back out. This would be now to the west of the garden. Back to the same spot where God picked up the dirt and created him to begin with. He drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And what are cherubims? Well, cherubims are basically warrior class angels. These are guardian angels. These are not like the little, you think of cherubims, you think of little cherubs, you think of like um, on like Valentine's Day cards and things like that. Um, you think of these little tiny babies with little tiny wings and bows and arrows and you think of these little cute little things that look like like um, like Cupid dolls and things like that. That's not what this is talking about. These cherubims, these were serious business. These, these things were monstrous and were huge and were warriors beyond warriors. I mean, if you think of like the biggest, baddest warrior and multiply it by 10, and that's what these things were. And a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And what I think of, again, I'm kind of a science fiction nut, so when I think of this, when I try to envision this in my head and try to imagine what this would be like, what I think of is this master warrior class being with kind of a lightsabery type of sword, um, a sword of fire, a flaming sword, which turned every way, meaning it was kind of like we have laser sensors now to, uh, as security, to protect things and they like when you see like in a museum where, where they protect the like you know like the hope diamond and things like that and you see all these movies where the guys have to sneak past all these various lasers that are pointed in every way to to guard this precious diamond or whatever this tree of life meaning the tree of eternal life the tree of never dying is guarded by this giant warrior class being who has a sword that can turn every possible way in every possible, all three dimensions, every possible way, and there's no way to get past it because man is no longer allowed access to that tree of life. Now, eventually, we're going to get that access back, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, again, I appreciate you sticking with me as we got through uh, chapter 3 of Genesis. Next time, we're going to look at chapter 4. Thanks again. God bless and shalom. Bible Study Rehab.